so it's Christmas Eve, which means that Christmas is almost here. Not quite, Christmas Eve, but Christmas is almost here. And I wanna just start with a little poll and just find out who I'm preaching to today, okay? Kind of what kind of folks you are. So here's the poll. How many of you open presents on Christmas Eve? Let me just see your hands. All right, four of you, that's awesome, that's great. All right, how many of you open presents on Christmas Day? How many of you open presents both on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? All right, all right, I wanna come to your house, okay. How many open presents one at a time while everyone watches the person open the present? Come on, let me see, all right. How many of you just rip into the presence just all at once? How many of you just did not vote? Okay, <laughs> a lot of you didn't vote on that one. Okay, how many of you, when you open presents, this, is, this will tell a lot about who I'm preaching to today. How many of you, when you open presents, try not to rip the wrapping paper? Let me just see. Come on, fess up. And how many of you just tear the wrapping paper apart? Yes. Those are my people, I just wanna say, you're my people. How many of you eat and then open presents? Let me see, eat your main meal and then open presents. How many of you open presents and then eat your main meal? How many of you eat through the whole thing? Yes, okay, all right, now I know who I'm preaching to. So Christmas is all about waiting, right? For kids, it's all about waiting to open presents. For adults, it's all about waiting for family and friends to arrive, or about waiting for family and friends to leave, or about waiting for all of the craziness to be over so that things can go back to normal, or about waiting for the credit card statement to show up to see what damage has been done. But for those who follow Jesus, Christmas is all about waiting to celebrate the arrival of Jesus into the world. It's about anticipating the incarnation. It's about waiting for this very moment. For all of us, this season of waiting, this season of Advent, only lasts a few weeks, and we've been talking about that over the past several weeks, but for the Israelites, for the people of God, this season of Advent lasted for centuries. It began in the Old Testament with prophets like Isaiah who prophesied about a coming Messiah. They prophesied about a coming Savior. It was a thrilling message of hope about a Messiah, a Savior who was gonna bring justice and restoration and wholeness and healing into the land and into their lives. A thrilling message of hope about a Messiah who was going to make everything right. Everything that was wrong, he was going to make right. And for centuries they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited for hope to arrive and then all of a sudden, it happened. The Messiah came, the Savior arrived. And Luke describes it this way. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he had belonged to the house and the line or the lineage of David. And he went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in clothes and, wrapped and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now on the surface, that story doesn't seem very thrilling. We're talking about the thrill of hope. On the surface, that story doesn't seem very thrilling. A boring census where everyone has to travel to their hometown, to the place where they were born in order to register. Nothing particularly thrilling about that. A long, arduous trip on foot by donkey uh, for a mom who's almost nine months pregnant and expecting her first child. I think if Mary had been asked to come up with one word to describe that journey, there are lots of words that she would have come up with and none of them would have been the word thrilling. There was nothing thrilling about that journey. Arriving in town after a long trip and finding that all the rooms in town have been booked, nothing thrilling about that. Finding a cave, a stable where animals were kept and having to sleep there, nothing thrilling about that. And then on top of all of that, being in that same cave when the contractions start, Surrounded by animals, engulfed in smells of urine and manure, no midwife to help with the birth, just your fiance who knows nothing about delivering a child. And then after the excruciating pain of childbirth, placing your child in a feed trough used by all of the animals, you can describe it in a lot of ways. You can describe it as brutal, you could describe it as dangerous, you might even describe it as adventurous, but you certainly wouldn't describe it as thrilling. There was nothing thrilling about it. No one would describe it that way. And yet, and yet when you pull back from the gritty reality of what was going on and you look at it through heaven's eyes, it was the most thrilling event that the world had ever seen. The God of the universe was entering into the world. The one who created the world was taking on flesh and coming in to the world that he created. The one who was going to set things right was entering into the world. And for those who recognized what was happening, it was absolutely and totally thrilling. There's a really important principle, I think, here. And the principle is this. The most thrilling things in life usually don't look very thrilling on the surface. In fact, most of the time, the most thrilling things in life look pretty ordinary. They look pretty common. They look pretty mundane. For something to be thrilling, though, it doesn't have to be spectacular. In fact, most of the time, 
we can't handle the spectacular. And that was certainly true with the shepherds when an angel showed up to tell them about the birth of Christ. Look at what happens, verse eight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. They were scared to death. Now we read this text and at first we think that it was the angel that frightened the shepherds. That they had never seen an angel before. That that would have been a scary, scary thing to see an angel. And we think, well, oh, it's the angel that scared them. But it was more than that. It doesn't just say that an angel appeared. It says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. That God was there in all of his glory. God showed up in all of his glory. God showed up and was present and they were terrified. Now shepherds actually didn't get scared by many things. Shepherds were pretty fearless people. It went with the job. Every night they were outside in total darkness, protecting the sheep from wild animals. So they didn't scare easily, but they were absolutely terrified when the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now look at how the angel responds to their fear. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a savior has been born to you and he is Christ the Lord. In other words, the angel is saying, I have a solution for your fear and it's Christmas. I have a solution for your being terrified and it's Christmas. It's this baby that's been born in Bethlehem because this baby, the angel said, this baby is Christ the Lord. Now, when the angel says that the baby is Christ the Lord, the angel is saying two very important things. First, he's saying that this baby is the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited Christ. Christ is just another way of talking about the Messiah. But secondly, he's saying that this Christ this Messiah is also the Lord. He's not just the Christ, he is Christ the Lord. The Greek word for Lord is kurios. And when they translated the Hebrew scripture, the Old Testament, into Greek in the second and third century BC is when all of that happened. It was a translation that was called the Septuagint. Everywhere the name Yahweh showed up in the Old Testament text, in the Hebrew. Everywhere the name Yahweh showed up, everywhere the covenant name of God showed up, it was translated as kurios, Lord. So when the angel tells the shepherds that this baby born in Bethlehem is Christ the Lord, Christ the kurios, the angel is declaring that this baby is not just the Messiah, not just the Christ, not just the Savior. He's declaring that this baby is God himself. 
And that's the reason the angel says that you do not have to be afraid because the God of the universe has made himself approachable. The angel is saying that because of Jesus, it's possible as sinful humanity to be in the intimate presence of the holy God, the glory of God, and not be terrified. To not be terrified of his righteousness. To not be terrified of his justice. To not be terrified of his judgment. That's the message of Christmas. That through the incarnation, through Jesus, God became approachable. God's arrival, when you think about it, wasn't spectacular. It wasn't flashy. God showed up in the most ordinary way possible. He showed up as a baby born to a couple of poor teenagers in really difficult circumstances in some no-nothing little town called Bethlehem, far away from the glare of power and wealth and influence. God is in the stable. God is in the feed trough. That's about as approachable as you can possibly get. And yet that's why so many people missed the first Christmas. That's why they missed God. They missed God for the same reason that many of us miss God. Because we look for God in the spectacular. We look for God in the flashy. We look for God in the things that you couldn't possibly ignore. We look for God with the angels showing up. We don't look for God in the shepherds declaring the good news. But most of the time, God shows up in the ordinary. Most of the time, God shows up in the commonplace. But the shepherds didn't miss that first Christmas. Look at their response to finding out that the God of the universe is in a stable in Bethlehem. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, the word that the angel had given them. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So as soon as the shepherds saw the baby, they began spreading the good news. The good news that God had come in the flesh. The good news that God was approachable, that God was reachable. The good news that God had come close. The good news that it was possible to come near to God and not be terrified. That it was possible to get close to God and not be scared. The shepherds didn't miss Christmas. The people they shared the good news with didn't miss Christmas. In fact, the text says that when they heard what the shepherds said, they were amazed. They were thrilled at what the shepherds told them. And Mary didn't miss Christmas because in the pain, in the midst of the pain and the confusion of everything that she was experiencing, we are told this. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they 
had been told. It says Mary treasured up all the things that she had experienced, all the things that she had heard, all the things that God was doing, and she pondered them. She pondered them in her heart. Last year on December 27th, just three days after this Christmas Eve service, like we had five services last year, and I wasn't feeling well at the services, and I hung out in the green room the whole time and prayed that God would get me through it. And three days later, I ended up in the emergency room. And after nine hours of all kinds of tests, I found out that I had cancer that had spread to a number of places in my body. A few days later, I would find out that it was stage four lung cancer. And in that moment, in the emergency room, in that nine hours on December 27th, my world was immediately turned upside down. Everything I thought about the future changed in that moment. I didn't know if I would ever preach at another Christmas Eve service. That's why in my prayer when I said, it's a miracle that I'm here, it's a miracle that I'm here. It's a miracle that I'm here. Now for many of you this year, and maybe over the past few years, your world has been turned upside down as well. Maybe by your own cancer diagnosis or maybe by some other health issue that you are dealing with or someone in your family is dealing with or your kids are dealing with or your parents are dealing with or maybe by a death of someone that you never imagined that you would have to move through life without them being a part of your life, maybe by a divorce, maybe your divorce, maybe someone's in your family's divorce, maybe by the loss of a job, maybe by the loss of a friend, maybe by the loss of a dream, maybe by the loss of a relationship that you thought was going to be the relationship, maybe by one of a thousand other things that can happen. And when it happens, it turns your world upside down. And maybe whatever that is, it has filled you with some anger or some despair or some doubt about God or some sadness that at this point you're pretty convinced that you will never, ever, ever get over. And that's okay. The greatest prayer book in the world, the book of Psalms, is filled with all of those same emotions. Anger, despair, doubt, Wonder, fear, sadness, all of those emotions. And what's great about Psalms is that the psalmist doesn't try to pretend like everything is okay. On so many occasions when life is not going the way that he thought life was going to go, he laments his situation before the Lord. He tells God that what's happening is not fair. It's not right. It's not just. It's not the way that it should be. 
and God listens to his prayers. He doesn't chastise him for not having more faith. He doesn't chastise him for not being more positive. He doesn't chastise him for not being more hopeful. None of that. God just listens to his prayers. He lets him lament. God loves him through his lament. That's what's so great about God. He loves us through our laments. So go ahead and lament. But as you lament, look for God. And don't look for God in just the big, spectacular things of life. Look for God in the small and the ordinary. Look for God in the stable. Look for God in the manger. Look for God in the baby who doesn't look like a king, but is in fact the king of all kings. While you're hoping and praying for that big, spectacular thing to happen, whatever that big, spectacular thing is, while you are hoping and praying for that big, spectacular thing to happen, don't miss the things that God is doing that seem small, that seem ordinary. Because if you miss those things, you will miss the thrill of hope. At this point, there's no real cure for stage four lung cancer. The doctors don't talk about curing it, they talk about treating it. And right now, I'm on a really effective treatment plan that God is using to heal my body. And as of today, basically one year from my diagnosis, there is no evidence of cancer in my body. So I give God praise for that. I say, along with the angels, glory to God in the highest for that. I bear witness to that. I want to be faithful to bear witness to what God is doing. Now, I have no idea what the future holds. Anyone who has had cancer or has cancer knows that it's a journey. And there are lots of unknowns in that journey. But this is what I do know. I know that God is at work. I know that I see manifestations of God's grace every single day in my life. I know that every day is a gift from God. And like Mary, I want to treasure those things. Like Mary, I want to ponder those things in my heart. I don't wanna get so focused on the big thing that I want God to do that I miss the hundreds of other things that God is doing. Because when we treasure what God is doing, even the small things, even the common things, even the ordinary things, it's possible to experience the thrill of hope even in the midst of the most difficult seasons of life. And that's my prayer for you this Christmas. My prayer is that no matter what season you are in, that you will experience the thrill of hope. 
that no matter how difficult this season is, no matter how many struggles you are facing, no matter how much this is not what you thought life was going to be, that you will experience the thrill of hope. Of course, you can't experience the thrill of hope unless you know the God of hope. And you can't know the God of hope until you embrace the good news of hope. The good news that the reason Christmas happened was so that Easter could happen. The good news that Jesus came into this world to die ultimately for your sins. The good news that you don't have to be defined by your past, no matter what your past is. The good news is that you can be forgiven no matter who you are and what you have done. The good news that the only way that you can experience the hope of this God is if you experience the good news of this God. Some of you have heard the good news. In fact, you have heard it over and over and over again. But unlike Mary, you've never treasured it. Unlike Mary, you've never pondered it. It's never changed you. And if that's true for you, that's my prayer for you this Christmas. I pray that you will treasure the gospel. I pray that you will be changed by the gospel. I pray that you will know the one who is the source of the most thrilling hope there is in the world, that you would know Jesus and that you would know him personally, that through Jesus you would come close to God and experience his intimate presence and his forgiveness and his grace and his love that is more than you could possibly imagine, that you would know him, that you would know him, that you would treasure him, that you would ponder everything that he has done for you. God, we are so thankful to be in this place this Christmas. We're so thankful for your manifestations of grace that have made it possible for us to be here in this room or in the building or present online that you, through your grace, have brought us to this point. Lord, may we experience the thrill of hope. May we treasure the things that you are doing in our lives. May we ponder the things that you are doing in our lives. May we not be so focused on the big thing that we miss all of the hundreds of little things that you are doing that are manifestations of your grace. May we walk as we go into this new year with a, a fresh awareness of the presence of God. And Lord, for those of us perhaps who are here who have heard the gospel but have never treasured the gospel, have never embraced the gospel, have never pondered it and taken it into their own heart, I pray that this Christmas 
would be the Christmas when that happens, when the gospel changes them, when they experience your forgiveness, when they experience your grace, when they're able to start afresh and anew with you. No guilt from the past. The slate wiped clean. Lord, may they experience that light in their own lives. In the name of Jesus, the one who is the source of this thrilling hope, we pray. We're going to have our candle lighting service and just a couple of words of instruction before the band comes out and we worship together and do this. Uh, the ushers are going to come forward and, and they'll light your candle and uh, when your candle is being lit, if you can keep it upright um, and let the, one, uh, or let the one who's lighting the candle, uh, I'm sorry, let the one who has the candle that's lit keep it upright and the one who's hand, having their candle lit to turn it horizontally to be able to light it. That's the safest way that we can do this. So um, be careful as we do this. Don't catch your neighbor on fire as we do this. Be safe as we do this. And as we do this and we once again see the lights that begin to emanate in this space. May we be reminded of the light of Jesus, the thrilling hope of Jesus that truly does bring light into the dark spaces and the dark places in our lives. God, may this be a sacred moment as we are reminded afresh and anew of the thrilling hope that is ours in Jesus, in the name of Christ.